Welcome to The Pot of Gold, where we talk all things precious metals and their markets. Today, we discuss how gold failed to move up through a key indicator, how silver has decoupled from copper, and why a once-in-a-decade US dollar rally can trigger a crisis somewhere else. I'm your host, Shay Russell, and joining me today is ABC Refineries Global Head of Institutional Markets, Nick Frappell. Nick, how are you, mate? Extremely well, thank you, Shay. Now, Nick, it's been a uh, it's been a few weeks since we've managed to jump on the mics again, uh, but we've been quite fortunate. The markets haven't been too topsy turvy in our absence, have they? Well, not until uh, perhaps Jackson Hole, no. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the, the timing of today's podcast uh, is, is, is rather well-timed, I should say. All right, but first and foremost, before we get into uh, Powell's comments from the ending of Jackson Hole, I want to talk about gold positioning because gold, uh, in the over the course of the month of August, it did look like it was starting a fresh rally. That maybe could be a dead cat bounce because it has back, sold back off to uh, – 1720 at the time of making this podcast. Nick, tell me, what is uh, positioning, open interest and managed money telling you about the gold market right now? Yeah, the uh, well, what managed money longs are telling me is that um, positioning, is, positioning is pretty much flatlining around about uh, 10 million ounce level. And, and there, there's, there's actually the last figure, and we're talking about Tuesday, August 23rd here, 9.6 million ounces long. Um, now the average uh, long position in managed money since Jan 2017 has been about 15 and a quarter million. Just to put that into context, so you're not seeing a lot of commitment here from the investor sector. Um, what we're seeing, so that 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 long position is essentially unchanged over the last couple of weeks, and it's not large. Um, shorts had increased to about seven and a third million uh, ounces, um, and that leaving that. Net positioning, of course, a positive net positive of two point two million ounces, pretty low by historic standards. So, again, context: the average short position in the uh, Jan twenty seventeen period onwards, almost six million ounces. Um, sorry, um, and the net position average is about nine and a half million long. So, um, what we're seeing is a little bit of um, little bit of negativity creeping in in terms of positioning. Long's um, fairly uncommitted, fairly low by historic standards. In terms of ETFs, uh, worldwide ETFs have dropped a little bit further to um, just over 1 million ounces. And to put that into context, that's uh, a decline since April overall, if you look at the big picture, about uh, 6.5 million ounces um, flowing out of the uh, gold ETFs. Now, since Tuesday the 23rd, open interest um, Actually, is hasn't changed, but it did move higher during that period and then moved back again. And if you look at what was happening in prices at that time, it looks as though people tried to um, sort of push the market back up, um, got long, and perhaps you know, if you look at the fact that open interest is now where it started, got pushed out again. Um, so positioning not 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 entirely not entirely positive, uh, and and that makes sense in the context of you know what we look at from the news coming out of Jackson Hole and the kind of messaging coming from uh, you know monetary authorities and central banks pretty much everywhere uh, with the exception of Bank of Japan. Uh, I, I, I want to um, go into the messaging coming out of central banks, but before we do, let's stick to the numbers. Yeah. Uh, have you run your trusty point and figure or Ichimoku cloud over the gold price? I've missed saying those words 
faster <laughs> ways. Well, I have, um, despite having a an office move last week, which meant a uh, a fair bit of uh, sort of software migration and so on. Um, look, what, what, what we saw, um, you know, you, you talked about that sort of bullish move since we last spoke. Um, gold tried to get up through the uh, daily cloud, failed and rolled lower. And it's really been tracking down the base of the daily Ichimoku cloud ever since. And it's now sort of dropping dropping somewhat below that, like you say, it's in the 1720s today. Um, targets down to 1718, which is obviously extremely close. And uh, but perhaps more meaningfully, targets to seventeen hundred, uh, and in the sixteen hundred, sixteen seventy, sixteen fifty, depending on what sort of scale and what sort of box size you use. Resistance on the upside, um, if we see a rally, uh, resistance I'd expect to come in at seventeen forty-seven and seventeen eighty, um, and that's basis um, where the uh, uh, sort of um, weekly lines and the and the daily uh, cloud uh, top is for the seventeen eighty at the moment. So, so what we're, not looking great, um, uh, I must admit. But um, yeah, de definitely a, a host of downside targets. Most of the short-term ones have been fulfilled. So uh, really, seventeen. I look at seventeen twenty and where the markets have moved in the last month, and this was sort of former resistance uh, and a, a while back. So may turn to be some sort of support around here. Um, briefly. So um, that's a rather interesting uh, spot that the gold price finds itself in, that former resistance is turning into support. Uh, however, I, I want to move on to central bankers. And uh, let's start with the most, the most important central bank, which is obviously the mothership of all central banks, the Federal Reserve. Yes. We've had Jackson Hole just wrap up uh, and Powell has done some talking and no doubt his uh, his words have haven't been good for gold, so I'd really like to uh, get your take on Powell's view, and then from there let's extend it into how this has changed for other uh, central banks and what they're saying about the market as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one thing that was very clear uh, about uh, Chairman Chair Powell's uh, Jerome Powell's messaging it was completely unequivocal, um, although he didn't put markers down, he didn't put numbers down, he didn't talk about where he expected the Fed's kind of terminal value to, to, to be in terms of this cycle of tightening. What he was completely unequivocal about was the fact that tightening, further tightening will occur. And those who counted on the Fed pivoting um, and, and easing their monetary policy were kind of wrong-footed by this, which is why you've seen equities come under um, pretty much universal pressure. Um, since those markets, um, since those those comments were made, and I think you know one of the big things actually talking about risk um, assets and you know equities, uh, if you like, is that people have looked at the the the, the re recent rally and you know it's extended quite a long way and probably caught some bears out. Um, and then you know the argument is well you know how much of a bear market rally is it and you know are we wrong to be bearish if you are in the bear camp? But it looks pretty much as though that his comments have certainly sort of capped out that uh, that recent pretty strong um, you know equity equity rally. So he didn't give a, a level at which the Fed might consider pausing or any kind of reversal, perhaps in 2023, which has left him a certain amount of leeway to um, go with the numbers as they as they come along. 
but at the same time, absolutely no doubt, he, uh, he was uh, he was um, com- you know very 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 hawkish. He was also hawkish along alongside a number of other central bankers uh, in 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 this region. Uh, Bank of Korea's uh, governor um, again uh, very hawkish and expecting tightness. So you know I I, I, don't, I don't really sort of single you know everyone out, but um, or you know particular other central banks out. But the point is, there's a whole mood of uh, tightness which has started you know last year and uh, you know and this year as well carrying on. Um, with really probably the only the Bank of Japan and the um, People's Bank of China being the kind of relative outliers, um, where the Bank of Japan is holding firm and not tightening, and the PBOC um, has eased a tiny bit, fifteen basis points, I think, in five year, particular five year money. Not sure how much that really does to lift um, a sagging economy, but nonetheless um, they are uh, easing. Um, so. This has obviously had a strong effect on the DXY, DXY, which I thought would rally last year through to this year. I did think would come to some kind of um, natural resting point. Uh, perhaps I, I, I can't remember exactly what I said, but it was sort of somewhere um, south of here for sure. And now it's a, it's almost 110. Daily, very long term point and figure uh, suggests we might go back to two, 2001 levels of around about 120. Um, I would have thought that would be completely out of the question a while back, but with a, a rally as strong as this, um, you know, 120 is, is is only you know another sort of five percent away, four and a half five percent away. Um, it's not in a market which is you know plunging sort of so head you know he, you know so headlong for the dollar. You couldn't rule it out. That's for sure. Um, and of course, at the same time, you've seen a pretty strong rise in the. Ten-year uh, tre- uh, Treasury, you know, tips yields as well. But their recent low was about two basis points um, before rallying again. Uh, yields, uh, bonds fell. Yields rallied to about forty-five basis points. And that, of course, as well has helped explain um, is a is a really strong explainer for why gold has been pushed lower. Is there one thing I wanted to say because I know you're about to say something, but I it might be a, a good a good moment just to. Say, make a very sweeping comment, but one that I always think is worth bearing in mind that, you know, tightening conditions like these and pronounced dollar rallies, I'm talking to kind of like once a decade dollar rallies, often trigger a crisis somewhere else. And it's obviously it's hard to say exactly where that somewhere will be, um, but it tends to expose vulnerabilities. And um, there's no shortage of vulnerabilities at the moment. But um, the sort of, if you like, the denouement of the uh, dollar rally. Um, is uh, and this general tightening, and one thing I didn't mention the ECB, but the ECB looks like uh, engaging in a more aggressive, probably seventy-five basis points in September looks much more on the possible. Again, these are really, really strong uh, moves, and they may lead. Not people are talking about sort of recessions and so on, and that's that's actually not unreasonable, but. But you might actually get a, a more powerful sort of crisis emerge elsewhere that perhaps wasn't necessarily on the cards six months ago. Ah, Nick, that is a. I'm so glad you caught me and stopped me from actually talking because that is uh, quite a powerful statement there that you have uh, put out there. Once a decade, a dollar rally often triggers a crisis somewhere else. Um, now we've often talked about the strength in the US dollar in past podcasts and. 
certain problems that may be lurking that I'm sure, you know, we like to think uh, in our rearview mirror, but in this case, they may be in our blind spot. Yes. Now, uh, before we move on to silver, because everybody loves the seven buck medal, I do want to, uh, we, you didn't touch on the terminal rate. Now, we do oh, cover yeah. the terminal rate expectations through the CME watch, uh, Fed watch tool quite frequently. Now, given that Powell has come out with a very hawkish tone and the, the market, broadly speaking, was expecting a pivot early next year, that was sort of the consensus view. Has um, the past 48 hours changed that consensus view? What does the terminal rate look like now? Well, if I look at, if I look at that um, sort of the FedWatch tool on a comparison basis, um, there's certainly you can see a, uh, a, a much stronger emphasis on a 3.75 to 4% target rate from May onwards. It doesn't, um, unless I've misread it, I, I can't remember exactly how it sort of uh, filters on the last uh, very short space of time. But if you certainly look at sort of like mid-August onwards, the very cl clear step-by-step -step, um, pivot towards uh, or high probability of, of the 375, 4% level. Um, I think, again, I should uh, have pasted this into my notes. <laughs> I think you're looking at like uh, uh, maybe 35 or 40 base, uh, 0.35, 0 0.4 um, probability value of that um, being the terminal rate as FedWatch, i.e. as the market um, sees it because the FedWatch tool is actually constructed off what people's positioning is. Um, so that's, uh, that of course is not, a, a rock solid guide because it, it, it changes according to, to people's positioning in uh, sort of you know the uh, the um, uh, short dated money and uh, and obviously the psychology of that market and the flows in that market. So it's not to say that the terminal value could move away from that point. Um, and I've, I've heard sort of you know higher numbers mentioned, but that's certainly if you look at FedWatch May twenty twenty three. And onwards, the the markets have got a fairly strong, you know, it's it's shifting from the three twenty five, three three fifty, three seventy five, top Fed fund target rate to three seventy five four. Um, so that's 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 kind of our our clue when it comes to uh, where the where the uh, um, Fed funds look likely to settle at the top of this cycle so far. Now we're going to jump from gold to silver. Uh, look, in in recent days, silver's really struggled struggled to catch a run up. Uh, just before we jumped on today's podcast, I had a look, and it's down at eighteen dollars fifty. So it's uh, it's certainly been knocked down lower than I thought it was going to. Uh, tell me, I want to talk about positioning on silver as well as price forecasts. Like, is there a rebound in silver's silver's future? And also. Uh, is it still tracking copper? Because for a while there, silver has been moving in line with copper. Has that decoupled? Silver was moving very nicely in line with copper, but it seems to be more uh, Jackson Hole and more um, more uh, uh, gold-related at the moment. So what has been going on in, in positioning? If you look at positioning in silver, um, there, there is a slight rundown in, uh, in, uh, in, in managed money longs. Uh, managed money longs have declined to the mid uh, mid 150 millions at the moment. Um, but what's really more way more notable is actually the increase in in shorts. So if you look at the if you look at the week ending Tuesday the uh, 23rd from a positioning point of view, 
Um, there was a slight decline in longs. It's, it's almost negligible. But there was a really, really sharp 48.275 million increase in shorts. And those shorts were put on at a volume-weighted average price of uh, US dollars 1937. Now, now as he's pointed out, we're, we're well below that now. So those guys are looking pretty comfortable and they're probably quite happy to let that position run, um, run lower. Um, I think... If you look at targets in the very, very short term, we're pretty much near the the uh, eighteen thirty level, where there was um, a couple of pretty long term uh, or medium term point and figure targets. Break through that, and I think you're looking, unfortunately, looking um, for silver for silver bugs. You're looking at uh, more like the fifteen sixteen level, and there certainly has been some pretty negative um, sort of communication or talk about where silver will um, go in the short run. There is decent demand for silver. Um, and, uh, and you know, that sort of level, I, it may not stay there for long. And the last time silver had a, a, a sharp sell-off, which I know was some time ago, but went, into, when, went down to sort of 1250, I think. Um, it was there for so little time. It was um, remarkable. But that's, that's certainly what the big picture is looking like at the moment. If you want to look at things like um, resistance and so on, um, I think that if we do turn around her, I think initial resistance, it's 1963 US dollars and 2033. And then those levels obviously look at how, <coughs> excuse me, further further resistances have developed since then. But that, that, that's where the, that's where the uh, silver's shaping up. You asked about copper. Yeah. Um, copper. And silver do seem to be decoupling, at least in the very short term, and I guess that can happen. The UK is on a bank holiday today, so the LME will be closed. Um, so that may mean that we can't look at that information for a day or so. Obviously, we'll see. You know, we can look at uh, COMEX copper in cents per pound, but uh, <laughs> I'm familiar. I have to get my calculator out. Um, but uh, we, um, but for the moment, yeah, it's worth looking at that again because copper is sending one signal and uh, silver is definitely not following Dr. Copper at the moment, but um, clearly following uh, following gold more more expensively. I look forward to revisiting uh, silver and copper in a couple more weeks uh, when well, basically the Northern Hemisphere holiday season has officially ended. It's drawing to a close as of this week, I believe. Yes. We can expect some more normality coming through into September. Now, I think we've got um, Labor Day to get through, and that, that's then we're, we're off. Okay. When's Labor Day? In, Should I know in this? In the US. In the US. Beautiful. Yeah. I'm across UK public holidays at the moment. I'm not entirely <laughs> across the more obscure yeah. US ones. Um, all right, Nick. Now, as I uh, started this podcast, it has been a quiet month of August, which is fine, uh, which is fine. It's uh, allowed you and I to not have our, uh, you know, not be doing those regular podcasts so frequently. But let's talk about data that is coming out, in particular this week, uh, and any impact that might have on gold. Yeah, absolutely. Because getting past getting past um, Jackson Hole, uh, this becomes a, an important week uh, data wise. And um, the first thing, well, the, the key thing really that I think most people would be focused on um, non farm payrolls on Friday, the second of September. Um, expectations on that number uh, between two hundred ninety five and three hundred twenty five thousand uh, um, jobs created in August. Um, looking at Forex Factory, they've got two nine five. Um, others have got three two five. It doesn't 
entirely, I'm, I'm not going to sort of worry too much about the exact number, but the key thing is, is that um, that and unemployment, unemployment is expected to come in at three and a half percent. The Fed's aggressive approach to um, tightening obviously is driven by um, concerns at getting um, inflation back into its box, if, if at all possible. Well, it should be possible, but at what cost? Um, but one of the things that gives them confidence to tackle it so aggressively is 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 uh, their positive assessment of the U.S. labor market, which they believe is 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 very robust. So non-farm payrolls will be uh, and unemployment will be a key number to look at and see. You know, is that robustness uh, robust uh, aspect of the U.S. labor market um, still in place? Expectations are that it is, um, but that's the first import, important um, sort of data milestone. Second one's a little bit later, but it's uh, CPI mid-month, and of course that's a, a hugely hugely important one um, for the uh, for the Fed going forward. So that's uh, I'd say the two things. One one thing that's uh, kind of worth expanding on is, and I think this was said by the um, uh, the Czech the governor of the Czech Central Bank was that in the end, it's really difficult. There are some things that are not in uh, in, in the control of central bankers, and we, you know, we, all, we all know that. Um, so when supply chains break down, when there's uh, you know violence um, and war and so on, um, all of those things are not at all in the, within the control of a monetary policy committee or a central banker. Um, but one thing that is also not in their control but is closer to their... Um, ability to communicate on is less random, if you like, is um, government's fiscal policy. And the, I believe it was the governor of the um, uh, uh, the Czech Central Bank, um, Obchodny Bank, I think it's called, but I won't push that, um, is he said, look, you know, the reality is fiscal policy is, is, is too strong. The setting for fiscal policy is part of our inflation problem and raising rates into that doesn't solve that problem. In fact, it just it's more of a headwind. And I think that's, you know, you can't change that. Um, but it is part of the environment that um, central banks find themselves in trying to rein back inflation in an environment where um, fiscal policy is arguably uh, still too loose and creating too much demand. Okay. Nick, I'm actually going to take a bit of a leap. There's no natural way to bring this up, but I want yes. to talk about the Aussie dollar. Oh, yeah. Now, the uh, we, I can't really link that to the Czech uh, central bank, so this is a bit of a clunky transition from my end. But the Aussie dollar, uh, being that we are an Australian podcast and we are a commodity-based currency, it is very important that we do touch on what the Aussie dollar is doing and what it might do next. Now, let's be honest, the Aussie dollar has not been doing too well of late. It has been under 70 cents now, I think, for at least four weeks. Uh, and you would think I would know the number off the top of my head prior to coming on today. Uh, we're looking at an Aussie dollar around 69 cents. Nick, tell me, what's keeping it down? Um, are there any targets in mind? Uh, and is there any sort of relief or is this really, a, you know, a, is the Aussie dollar going to be con continue to be weak? Yeah, that's. It, I haven't sort of written a whole screed about the Aussie, but I'll just say a few things. I think the the macro environment that the Aussie is in is not helped by 
uh, firstly, concerns over the strength or otherwise of the uh, Chinese economy, um, and perhaps more widely by concerns that a much tighter environment worldwide, monetarily, um, will lead to um, shrinking demand for uh, Australian exports. Um, you know, particularly you know, bulks essentially. So that's um, that's the sort of the wider macro uh, wider macro context, which has kept the Australian dollar on defensive. Um, of course, what has really really um, pushed the Aussie uh, sharply lower on, in intraday at any rate was um, the reaction to Jerome Powell's commentary over the over the uh, Jackson Hole um, symposium. So again, that's a just a reflection of the you know investors pivoting into the U.S. dollar. In terms of targets, on oh, by the way, in terms of positioning, um, the negative uh, short positioning sh short bets against the uh, Aussie dollar have increased um, uh, somewhat, and uh, perhaps we can talk about that in more detail in the next podcast. In terms of, um, I expect further bearishness. Don't have particularly dramatic targets, but in the short to medium short term, you know, certainly looking for. Uh, got targets to 0 0.681. So that is, uh, um, yeah, that's that's probably all I can say about the Aussie. It's on, def on the defensive for, you know, partly a resurgent US dollar, but also combined with a, a, a concerning outlook for demand for um, Australian uh, primary products and commodities. Nick, our time today is rapidly running out, so let's talk about our uh, key takeaways for today's podcast. Uh, I actually think uh, my, my key takeaway is that comment of yours that I um, replayed back to you, much to your embarrassment, I might add, uh, earlier in today's podcast, and this is a once-in-a-decade dollar, uh, once dollar rally often triggers a crisis somewhere else. Uh, I think that's quite powerful, and I think everybody should remember that, um, you know, <laughs> Unintended consequences, really. That's yes. what we're looking at here with the DXY. And this is not to predict a black swan event, but it's certainly pointing out that these things don't happen very often, but this is how they build. Now, Nick, you liked when we get to our key takeaways from today's conversation, often like to introduce a new topic altogether. Tell me, would you like to introduce a new topic altogether or do you have a key takeaway from today's conversation? <laughs> this, this time I'm not going to venture uh, into a new topic but we'll uh, <laughs> well um, I, I want to think about one for next uh, the next podcast which, which uh, I, I think we all hope is not going to uh, take place as long after the, the the last one it was just for various for various reasons we we uh, didn't do one we it's didn't stick to fun. the normal weekly cycle yes. um so look I think the, the the takeaway is simply the one that you've seen that's affecting the markets the most right now which is the resolute nature of the Fed. Um, at Jackson Hole and their their messaging about their tightening cycle, that if anyone thought um, that the Fed would pivot to a more moderate um, approach, that expectation has been pretty much crushed. Uh, and I think that's the the most important thing really here. Look, Nick, that is fantastic. It's also a great place to leave today's podcast. Nick, it is great to have you behind the mic again. I have missed this, and I'm sure everybody listening has I missed your <laughs> insight and analysis. Uh, it will not be so long between drinks next time, so uh, we will get this podcast ready to go, and we will see everybody again next week. Nick, thank you very much for being here. It's been fantastic. It's an utter pleasure. Thank you. Cheers, Shay. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to get a better understanding of the technical indicator Nick uses, the Ichimoku Cloud, 
It's available on most trading platforms. Alternatively, you can check the show notes over at abcrefinery.com forward slash podcast. Here you can sign up to receive more information from Nick Frappell, including his monthly report where he incorporates technical analysis alongside macro market commentary. That's all from us today at ABC Refinery. We look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you.